it's Emma back for uh, episode 14 of the Parenting NI podcast and this month I'm joined by Chris. How are you Chris? I'm very good Emma, how are you? Good, yeah, good, doing good. Um, it's been a big month for us because we have just launched mm-hmm. uh, our second ever big parenting survey. That's right, yeah. Um, so Chris is going to uh, chat to us a little bit about that but before we get into that um, I talked a lot about at the start of last month's podcast how great it was us having like loads of listeners and stuff and forgot to do the typical podcast thing of saying don't forget to rate review and subscribe yes give us five stars <laughs> those are the only reviews that are acceptable absolutely um so yes thank you for listening and downloading um, but please if you are enjoying it tell a friend because that's how we spread the the news that it's here and help you get um tips and advice each month um, and yes, while you're there, uh, make sure you leave us a little rating and a review. And as Chris says, they can only be five stars. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. We will find you otherwise. <laughs> okay, so Chris, the second ever Big Parenting Survey. Yeah. Uh, maybe just to give the listeners a bit of an update. What is the Big Parenting Survey? And why do we do it? Yeah, definitely. So as you say, this is the second one. Um, so this is something we came up with uh, about two years ago now, where we realized that there was a real dearth of information regarding parents' views and experiences in Northern Ireland. In fact, if you ask a researcher or anybody in a role, research and policy role like myself, they'll quite often tell you there's a dearth of information about Northern Ireland in general. Mm-hmm. So for example, I remember having a conversation with someone about uh, birth registrations. And in other parts of the UK, it'll tell you what the relationship between the parents is when the child's born, if they're cohabiting, if they're, you know, living in separate homes, that sort of thing. In Northern Ireland, it only tells you if the parents were married or not. So there was a real problem with with data. And obviously, here at Parenting and I, everything we do, we try our best to make sure it's parent-led. And we, you know, develop services, we deliver services, interventions, support that's based on what parents tell us, rather than kind of in a paternalistic way, us just saying, we know this is what you want. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that we're reflective of what parents are telling us. And what we did, and what we did this year and last year was we ran this online. It was mostly advertised through social media. Um, and we developed a series of questions that are basically open-ended. And they're designed to give parents a chance to tell us what it's really like to be a parent in Northern Ireland in 2020. You know, um, tell us, are they happy? Are they concerned? What are they worried about? And the first year's response was really, you know, it was surprising. It was over a thousand uh, responses. It was nearly uh, twelve hundred, actually. And the numbers we got back were pretty concerning, um, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. You know, parents obviously told us lots of positive things. Parents enjoy being parents, and they enjoy spending time with their children, and they realize how important and exciting this can be. But they don't. They definitely don't feel supported. Okay. Um, so, we ran the second survey there over 2019 between August and October. Um, And we focused in on an aspect that came up a lot in the first year survey, and that was technology. Mm -hmm. So obviously we asked parents, what are they concerned about? And they told us a lot of things. But one of the things that kept coming up was technology. Mm -hmm. And the other two big concerns they had were mental health and changes in society. And, you know, it doesn't take a lot of um, thinking to see that those three areas are linked. Yeah. So what I said when I was putting together this policy, this this, uh, survey, was that I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into what we meant by technology okay. because technology is a, a pretty wide range. I mean, right now we're 
talking on a podcast, which is yeah. technological and, yeah. you know, your smartphone's technological and some parents will have children who play video games. Some ch- parents will have children who um, make a lot of use of social media. And we know anecdotally those are more or less concerning for different parents depending on their family structures and the situations that they're living in. And we wanted to get a bit more de- data on that. So this year's big parenting survey was kind of a mixture. We asked a number of questions that were kind of used as trackers compared to last year Mm -hmm. to see where we were a year down the line. And then there was a specific section looking at technology. Okay. So before we get to the technology bit, let's think a wee bit about, you had explained at the start there, the kind of primary Mm -hmm. focus of the report is to really build a picture of of what it's like for parents living in Northern Ireland and being a parent in Northern Ireland. Um, So could you maybe tell us a little bit about the, the kind of key figures that were coming out of the report from that perspective? Yeah, so I think the most important question we ask parents on the the survey is whether or not they feel parents get enough support. Yeah. Um, Now that's a very wide ranging question and it is kind of by design not specific because what support means to you or to me or to a different family will be different. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of a good general measure of how parents feel like they're being valued. And that was the big thing for me was not so much We know there's great um, interventions that exist, great services that exist for parents. But our question was, is it enough? And our parents, do they feel like they're able to access it? And what we found last year and this year, it was actually unchanged, was 82% of parents told us, no, they they, they weren't getting enough support. Um, And actually, if you drill down into that, looking at specific groups of parents who are more likely to need support, they feel they get less support than okay. than overall. For, for example, that 82 figures for all parents, when we look specifically at the single parents who identified themselves in the uh, demographical questions, 89% of them felt like they didn't get enough support. So that was that was pretty worrying. Yeah. Um, we also asked them kind of just generally uh, about an outlook. Now, I'm not originally from Northern Ireland, but I would say that Northern Irish people, they tend to be relatively cheery and mm-hmm. optimistic um you know they're not they're not the most down in the dump sort of people <laughs> so we asked them are you more worried or hopeful about parenting in the future last year 66 percent of parents were more worried than hopeful this year it's actually gone up to 69 percent okay. wow. so that is a pretty worrying figure mm-hmm. but i mean the, the the one small caveat is political issues came up a lot in terms of why parents were worried sure. um, and these figures were taken before the rest- restoration of the assembly so that may have an impact in the next survey that we do uh, whenever we end up doing that. But in terms of that snapshot of time, you know, parents are telling us very distinctly that they, they are more worried than hopeful. Um, we also ask parents about their hopes for their children. Um, and they are, they're not exactly uh, crazy ambitious. They're mostly ha- hope that their children are happy, healthy, and achieve a good education, pretty much in that order. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we ask them to think they're achievable. And, and thankfully, most parents do. 70% of parents told us that, yeah, being happy, being healthy, achieving good education. These are achievable things in Northern Ireland, but mm-hmm. a third of parents, about 30%, told us no. So again, if you're in a role like ours or if you're in a role in, in a department or a political party or, or, or decision makers generally, you, you do have to look at these numbers and think, okay, well, what can we do to help? Um, so those, in, the, in terms of generally, those are the kind of big um, headline figures from the, yeah, from the report. Yeah. So could you maybe tell me a little bit more about the kind of issues that parents are struggling with? Yeah, so um, we gave parents a number of potential hurdles to tell us, are you dealing with these? And, and if, if so, you know, what are the big ones? And the two biggest 
by a fairly significant margin in terms of, by the way, we got about 1,300 responses to this. Yeah. So we got a pretty healthy um, number of responses. The biggest two were technology and mental health. And it really is, it's kind of an arbitrary distinction because so many parents told us that they were worried about technology's effect on their mental health and vice versa, the effect of having poor mental health with access to technology. So those are the two biggest ones. Then they were really worried about things like changes in society. Mm -hmm. um, now, changes in society, again, is another general term. But in terms of when we drill down into what parents are telling us about changes in society, they're worried about things like um, political situation in Northern Ireland, the, the lack of progress on a number of key issues. They were worried about Brexit. Mm -hmm. They were worried about those sorts of things. But they were mostly, they were also kind of worried about like a change in family values and a change in the way that families are set up and stuff. And it's not necessarily that they were saying, you know, older is better. Yeah. But it was more, I think, the parents were kind of making it clear to us that they were, they didn't feel like they knew how to deal with this kind of brave new world of the way things are now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they want their children to be happy. They want their children to be able to grow up um, safe and, and, you know, basically have a, a good childhood. But dealing with these new problems they kind of feel like they don't know where to go to get help. Mm -hmm. um, the other issues that they were dealing with, there was a lot of kind of vaguely education-related um, and social-related issues. Peer pressure, bullying, school-related issues were, were quite common. Um, and parents also told us they were worried about money. And money kind of splits down into three things. First one is uh, just generally the cost. I mean, things like the cost of school uniforms, mm -hmm. being able to pay to go on school trips, um, the second was work-life balance. Um, a lot of parents told me that uh, they, they didn't feel like they could go back to work or they couldn't work as much as they wanted to or they had to work way too much. Um, you know, there was kind of a fairly even split there. And then the last one, and I really do feel like this one needs to be kind of specifically brought out, is um, the cost of childcare. Okay, yeah. Parents made it really clear to us that um, childcare was just an enormous albatross around their neck. They really do not feel like enough is being done to support them with regards to that. Okay, and in terms of support then, is there a particular sort of medium in terms of how they want to access that support? Yeah, so um, I guess the quickest way to kind of conceptualize that is, it was about a 45-40 split if you group the types of support together. Mm -hmm. Parents either wanted an online type of support, so that might be a website, or it might be an app, it might be web chat. Or but a it's podcast. Or a podcast, indeed, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but basically something they can access effectively without having to kind of talk to anybody about yeah, it. Sure. Um, yeah, sure. So that was about 45% of parents. And 40% of parents wanted some sort of face-to-face -face support. So that might be a literal face-to-face -face support, coming in and having a chat with somebody. A lot of parents wanted programs. Um, parents might want counseling or home visits. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the easiest way to understand those figures is similarly to any of us having been ill, the first thing you do is Google your symptoms and you inevitably convince yourself that you are dying and you need <laughs> to see your doctor. Um, and I think it's the same with parenting issues. If you are struggling with something, the first thing that you do naturally is go online and look for help. Mm -hmm. um, and for some parents, that's absolutely fine. And that actually sorts the problem. You know, There are certainly great sources, our website being one, obviously, where you can get information to help you deal with some kind of low level child care and child um, rearing issues. Mm -hmm. But the problem with online is it's a very big world out there. And there is very, it's, it can be quite hard for parents to find correct information, 
information without an agenda, information that's relevant to Northern Irish parents because, you know, just because the Australian government says do this or the, uh, you know, the, the state of Michigan recommends you do that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that's going to work in Northern Ireland. So that's kind of one side of things. And I think a lot of parents want to go there first. And if they realize subsequent to, to accessing online support that they do need support, they want that in person. So they want to be able to come in and get a, a like a structured, either it's counseling or appointment or a program to kind of walk them through maybe more severe, serious issues. Okay, yeah. And it's funny there when you mention about um, the kind of issues with access and support online mm-hmm. and the um, the difficulties, I suppose, and kind of fact-checking that yeah, information. Yeah. Um, so that kind of leads us quite nicely into the, the second half of the survey, um, which did focus on technology. And yeah. as you said... We know that that is a big concern for parents based on what was coming through last year's um, findings and also just through what we know coming through the services that we offer and anecdotally. Um, what about some of the findings in this area then? What yeah. was the big concerns for parents of that? So as I mentioned, technology was last year and is this year a really big um, area of concern for parents. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's mostly concern. There are some parents who are excited about the opportunities and why wouldn't they be? Um, but broadly speaking, there is a lot of concern out there. So we, we basically, first of all, we split social media, or we set technology up into five distinct aspects. So social media is the first one. Mm-hmm. Smartphones and tablets was another one. Video games and video game consoles, the internet, and then finally technology in general. Mm-hmm. And with those topics, we asked three kind of questions. The first one was, did parents feel they had a significant impact on their child's well-being? Uh, did they find it difficult to monitor? And lastly, did they feel like they got enough support in dealing with issues when they arose relating to these issues? So the overall picture was parents absolutely felt it had a significant impact on their child's well-being. Mm -hmm. Um, The average was something like 75% either agreed or strongly agreed with that topic. Mm -hmm. And if you look at, um, you know, the specific figures, the most kind of concerning was smartphones and tablets with 81% agreeing or strongly agreeing, mm-hmm. followed by social media on 80%. But even the, the, the kind of relative least was video games and consoles, but well over half of parents, 64% agreed or strongly agreed that they had a significant impact on well-being. And I think one thing to point out in terms of looking at these figures with video games is the numbers are about, are on average about kind of 15 to 20% lower in terms of parental concern or or you know, needing help. I think that may be re- uh, reflective of either a gender split mm-hmm. or an age split. Because okay. if your children are very young or female, they are, statistically speaking, less likely to split to play video games. And certainly if they're younger, they're less likely to play those games online, which is the primary concern parents leveled was. It wasn't so much they were concerned about them playing video games, it was that they were concerned about them playing online with other people. Okay. And um, one of the things actually to mention on that, mm-hmm. just while we're talking about video games, is that Chris did come on and do um, a podcast episode with me last February. Right. February must be your month for doing these <laughs> um, It's the shortest then, one. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was all about the ins and outs of video games. And that's worth going back and having a little listen to. Um, so that's the second ever episode of the Parenting and I podcast, and you can check that out as well to get more tips and information about that. And if you just really want to hear my voice again. Yeah, if you just want to listen to his <laughs> dulcet tones. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also when you were talking about the sort of significant impact as well, yeah. um, was it easy to differentiate whether it was a good impact or a bad impact or 
what, what was the kind of yeah so that? so what we kind of did in terms of trying to figure out if that was in fact something my parents were worried about or something maybe they were excited about was we looked at the quotes mm-hmm. basically the open questions that parents gave us where they talked about social media and by a fairly large amount there were a lot more I am concerned about these things than there you know there was occasionally kind of language like I you know there's lots of opportunities here they'll be able to do things I wasn't able to do growing up but in the main they, they were telling us things like they they were being kind of bombarded constantly with information they were their identity was being tied up in their social media profiles mm-hmm. um, one thing that one parent mentioned for example they were talking about cyberbullying okay. and and this was not just this one parent, but, you know, I, I specifically remember them talking about it was they said I had experienced bullying when I was a young person and it was horrible, mm-hmm. but I would come home and it would be done. Mm-hmm. I could get away from my bullies. I was safe in my room. My child who is currently dealing with bullying at school can't get away from his bullies. Um, you know, he has a phone in his room and, uh, you know, it's constantly pinging and, and it's, it's, you know, it, it's very overwhelming. And I think for some people, they hear that, particularly if they're not parents, and they'll think, well, just put the phone down and, and walk away. But the reality is the reason parents are so concerned about technology is because it is such a central part of growing up now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not having access to technology creates its own social concerns um, that parents need to be, I guess, aware of. Um, at the end of the day, the level of access to technology and the way that they use it will vary from family to family, and only mm-hmm. a parent really knows mm-hmm. whether their child, for example, is ready for a smartphone or whatever. But making the choice to, say, take the phone away completely or you know, putting severe restrictions on it has consequences in terms of your child's social life and their feeling of missing out on things. So you know, in terms of, of, of an overall pact, I think, I think it is fair to say that most parents are concerned, even okay. if it's not something that's actively happening to them. It's more they look at look at it and go, oh man, that's over the that's over the horizon, and they don't know yeah. where that's going. Yeah, and also you kind of hear an awful lot more negativity about yes. it than I mean, you only have to look in recent months about different things that have happened to um, see that there's a lot of negativity that happens online. Unfortunately, like there obviously there are positives yeah. Yeah, to it, right. and it does open an awful lot of opportunities for young people. But as you say, that lack of escape, that being kind of nearly addicted in a way to our screens Absolutely, and yeah, our smartphones and yeah. um, it, it can be a big problem but I suppose that's another element then that we also looked at in terms of monitoring yes, that that's so right. if your children are actually on screens whether it's video games or iPads phones whatever um, that that creates its own challenge as well for parents it does and so we asked parents you know do, do they find um, these various types of social media and, and internet um, communication is difficult to monitor and again by an overwhelming majority the answer was yes mm-hmm. so again video games were the least with 55% agreeing or strongly agreeing but that jumped up to 82% for social media which was actually higher than smartphones and tablets and I think that's parents recognizing that social media is not exclusively tied to the smartphone Yeah. Um, and I think that is a source of major concern for parents because they're aware that technology can be good or bad. Mm-hmm. You know, parents mm-hmm. parents understand, of course, that, that technology is a, is a mixed bag. But it's different if you if you, if you feel like you, you are in control of what's going on in your child's digital life, mm-hmm. you're naturally going to feel a bit less worried about the impact. 
But if you feel like it's completely out of your control, you're naturally going to feel like, you know, it, nobody likes to be out of control. And particularly when it comes to parents and their children, nobody likes the idea that they can't protect their child if something goes wrong. They can't become aware of it as soon as humanly possible. You know, the reality is there's a, there's a lot of anonymity and a lot of kind of yeah, yeah. uncertainty. And okay. and the reality is cha- technology is changing every day. You know, you and I are both relatively young, but the, the experience of being a teenager today mm-hmm. in terms of technology is dramatically different than when I was growing up. Yeah, um, You know, for most of the, my social media experience growing up was done at a family PC in a living in a living room you know my mom or my father knew what website I was being I was on and if they didn't know they could easily find out but if it's happening on a tablet or a mobile phone you know it's pretty hard it's quite personal to them of course I I totally get what you mean because I was exactly the same when I was going back to the days of like MSN messenger you couldn't Mm -hmm. wait to get home from school and like chat to your friends Mm -hmm. on MSN Mm -hmm. Um, what's funny because so we were talking about that on radio and stuff this week about like things that you could talk or like say yeah. that children would have no actual I saw that for yes, yes I was talking about rent, <laughs> renting video games oh, yeah, um, yeah. which is a very uh, antiquated concept these days um, yeah and that's another you know the types of interactions have really changed yeah. so for example bringing up MSN Messenger is a great example with MSN Messenger you were just chatting to somebody mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. maybe you knew them maybe you didn't but you just the most you could do is chat but if you look at things like TikTok or YouTube or whatever, it's a content creation platform. Mm-hmm. So your child, in order to engage with Snapchat or whatever it is they're doing, it's a video or it's a photo or it's some sort of song. And you're encouraged to do things and put yourself at mm-hmm. kind of more, just put yourself out there more yeah. in a way that, you know, social media that you and I grew up with just didn't ever no, encourage I mean, you to you might have, you might if you were lucky you had a webcam right you know but you couldn't you, you couldn't go viral have... you know no, that's the thing no, you, nobody no. outside of your own immediate social circle could find out about who you are yeah, absolutely, right yeah. and yet you think about msn you know if you wanted to add somebody on msn they had to click yes mm-hmm. but now if i put a video out there on youtube i can't control who watches it who re-uploads it what happens with it so i think even relatively young parents who have themselves a bit of experience in terms of digital lives, this the landscape is so different. Yeah. Um, and I think what parents overwhelmingly were telling us in the survey was they don't feel prepared to um, to deal with that. They don't they don't feel like they're being uh, informed or supported. And okay. you know, it's kind of a it's luck of the draw in terms of the communication between you and your young person and the situations they find themselves in. So it's, it, that's, that was quite concerning in terms of that overall. Yeah. And when you're talking about that, actually support yeah. and how to access support in regards to technology, I, I find this one really interesting because I'm not yet a parent myself, but even in terms of like what apps and things I use, yeah. It's quite difficult to know where to go. I mean, other than the the platform itself. Yes. It's quite difficult to know where to go to get that support yeah, or, um, you know, who should you go to? There's so many different organisations and places offering advice about this kind of stuff. It's a bit of a minefield for parents. So yeah. in terms of access and support specifically related to technology, mm-hmm. was there any insight in the, the findings about that? Yeah. So we asked them, you know, do they think they get enough parenting support in dealing with issues their children have with these technology issues? And again, it's important to remember that the most common age of a child 
of a respondent to this parental survey was between four and seven. So a lot of these kids haven't actually accessed technology yeah. yet. A lot of them have, but what we have is a very large group of parents who see this coming over the horizon mm-hmm. and, and are maybe that's why they're concerned. But in terms of, of the parents who felt like they could, they were getting enough support, you know, you're talking less than, less than a quarter for most of these, mm-hmm. um, you know, 24 to 22%. And, you know, somewhere between 38 and 42% saying no with the rest kind of not being sure. Yeah. Um, and in terms of support, I think it's important as well, when we talk about support, a lot of support is aimed at, you know, kind of like a cheat sheet. Here's here's a guide to the apps on your child's phone. Here's what this one does. And that information is useful, but it's very quickly outdated. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the types of support that parents need, it's more about kind of systemic how to build a, a good relationship with your young person. Because at the end of the day, it's very hard to keep up with what specifically they're using. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's for the most part not necessarily the concern. Mm-hmm. It's more about what could happen to them. Yeah. So yeah. it's much better to have a relationship with your young person where they feel like if something bad is happening or if something concerning is happening, they can come and talk to you or a teacher or somebody in authority who can protect them than knowing specifically, okay, this is a video app or this is a, a voice app or, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think... We need as a as a as a sector to look at the kind of support that we provide to parents and focus a little bit less on, you know, telling them, you know, this is what this is how this works. Yes, and oh, more yeah. and more. This is the kind of this is how you talk about the de- the issue that you're dealing with. Um, kind of in the same way that you look at maybe mental health mental health support. There's a lot of linkages with dealing with mental health support because a lot of this stuff affects mental health. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that you don't necessarily treat one person with, say, depression or anxiety. You don't give them the exact same treatment every single time. Mm-hmm. It's more of a kind of a lifestyle change or, or, or um, kind of talking therapies and changing the way that you deal with problems. And I think with technology, we, it's best to address it like that as well. Yeah, yeah, because it is. It's something, as you say, it's ever-changing yeah. and therefore really hard to keep on top of that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's you're kind of... You think about how long it takes to produce a report or put out a graphic, you know, it's very likely that by the time you put even the most up, and plus, you know, none of us are 12 years old. None of us know what what the most viral uh, new uh, app is and where it's coming from. So it's kind of a fool's errand sometimes to try and keep up with these sorts of things. Yeah. And in terms of then accessing that support that Uh we're talking about. Um, where would parents like to see that coming from? So we asked two questions on this. And the first is kind of asking them where do they currently go? Mm-hmm. And then where would you like to go? And there was a bit of an interesting disparity there. So about half of parents told us at the minute they basically go to their friends and family. Yeah. And that's great because, look, it's, it's, it's so important to have a strong support network. But as soon as I saw that figure, I worried about the parents who, who don't have a good friend and support, mm-hmm. friend and family support group, maybe isolated individuals, uh, recent new arrivals, the bereaved, who knows. Mm-hmm. Um, about 30%, give or take, um, say they currently go to the schools uh, or educational settings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we asked them, where would they like to go? And that number of about friends and family halved. So only about 20% say that like that's where they'd okay. like to go. Yeah. 40% say that's where they do go, mm-hmm. but only 20% said that's where they think it's best placed. And the number for schools and education has jumped up. So just over 40%, 44% said schools or educational settings is where they think is best placed mm-hmm. to deliver this. Um, which is really interesting because, you know, I think 
for a lot of schools, that's not necessarily how they see themselves playing a role mm-hmm. um, at the moment, because obviously schools are under an enormous amount of pressure, and they have budget qu- budget problems and the curriculum problems and all these kinds of things. So if parents are telling us that's where they want to go, then realistically that is where it has to be delivered. There needs to be a conversation between parents and and the experts, whether that's us or academics or whoever, the police and the schools to say, okay, this is where they want to go. Let's build up the capacity there. Yeah. You know, let's go to where they want to be as opposed to, you know, because I mean, there is support out there and there is, there are, you know, you know the, the e-safety uh forum for northern ireland there's ourselves there's uh you know other charitable organizations the police you know support does exist but clearly parents are making very obvious to us that that's not necessarily they don't see that as necessarily where they want support to be yeah and there can be a little bit of a kind of disparity maybe in terms of how Mm -hmm. that's delivered or who it's delivered to so at our launch this week, we had a parent who spoke That's about right. how there was support offered in her school relating, uh, her children's skill relating to technology, but that a lot of the time that was maybe funded through PTA mm-hmm. or those kind of things. So that's challenging as well because yeah, as you course. say schools are facing real funding cuts and all that kind of stuff. So um, there's definitely a lot to think about with that one then as well. Yeah. Um, so that's great, Chris. Um, we've got lots of great statistics and, and mm-hmm. research um, relating to all this. But in terms of um, where we go from here, um, Parenting and I have made a number of recommendations for policymakers. That's right. Um, so what will be the actions then moving forward that we'll take forward out of the survey? So I'm going to start by saying that I'm very glad at the time of recording this that we have an assembly back. <laughs> oh, I, I love that you... like. <laughs> preface that with at the time of recording mm-hmm. let's hope it by the yeah, time well, this goes on it'll I'm, still be there. listen i'm touching wood here but my point is <laughs> my point is i'm very glad that there is an assembly up and that there are ministers in place yeah. and i have had the good luck to 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 work with some of the people who are now ministers mm-hmm. um in terms of through my role here at parenting and i and others um and i know that for example the minister for health and the minister for education and the minister for communities they're all aware that parents need more support and they're all, you know, open and, and honest about the fact that they want to do more for parents. So I think we're starting from compared to last year's uh, findings and, and recommendations, we're in a much better position um, and I'm excited to explore that. So the first one is about mental health. And I think anybody who's been paying attention to the kind of policy situation in Northern Ireland won't be surprised to hear this. Mental health is a, is a, is a pervasive issue in Northern Ireland and, and, really more needs to be done to make sure that this is dealt with. But one thing that we found going through was, yes, parents are very concerned about mental health, but interestingly, they're almost equally concerned between their children's mental health and their own personal parental mental health. Okay. And the, the, the impacts that, for example, having poor mental health yourself can have on your parenting ability and your children. Mm-hmm. And I think what we find with a lot of mental health initiatives and supports is they aren't necessarily taking into account the person as a parent. They're a patient or they're a individual, but you know, the supports that are being provided don't necessarily have a specific element that relate to the fact that they are a parent, even though that is extremely impactful in the way in which they deal with the issues that they have to deal with and in the way that they live their lives. So the first recommendation is that we look at developing parental mental well-being initiatives. Um, 
They need to be evidence-based. There are models out there that exist. And the stigma associated with experiencing mental ill health as a parent is an issue that needs to be targeted down and dealt with. Because, you know, in the same way that we've, you know, increasingly outlined that it's not, you know, there shouldn't be a stigma associated with getting help for your mental health, we need to make sure that the system, as is, encourages parents to do so. Um, the second is relating to technology and parents have really made clear that technology is a major concern for them regarding the the impact on their children's well-being and their ability to monitor it and knowing where to go. So what Parenting and I recommends is that we have a conversation and a co-production model between the voluntary sector, the academic sector where there there are experts in those two sectors, Mm -hmm. the statutory sector where there is the responsibility to deal with this. And the schools where parents tell us that's where they want us to be, but don't necessarily don't necessarily always have the capacity. Um, all three sectors need to be bought into this before we can effectively um, implement this. But mm-hmm. but I think there the will is there, so I'm not overly overly concerned from that perspective. The third is politics and Brexit, and again, this has changed slightly, obviously, since the report was initially finalized. Because yeah. in the time since um, Brexit's officially theoretically happened. Um, <laughs> Officially, theoretically, it's not very helpful. Um, And the assemblies come back, which is great. But parents make clear to us that the uncertainty associated with first not having the assembly back and then now having it back and Brexit was concerning to them. They are conscious that it's likely to have some sort of impact on the well-being of their children in the way that their families operate. They know that there's going to be some sort of impact, but they have absolutely no idea what it is and how to prepare for it. Absolutely. Well, I mean realistically you know stability is what you need stability and and consistency is what we tell parents to try to aim for in terms of their parenting Mm -hmm. therefore as a society we should aim for stability and consistency for parents kind of you know consistently getting better but if we're going to change things as a society and, and and through brexit we are then you know we should give parents the most possible opportunity to prepare for that so what we're recommending is is some sort of in-depth report to see okay this is what brexit means for for parents and for families and here's how we're gonna you know not just prepare for the negatives but also take advantage of any opportunities you know uh, without being prescriptive here and without trying to push one or the other political opinion brexit is changing things and if there are things that are risk related we need to be prepared for them and if there are things that might be good then we need to be able to empower people to take advantage of those. Okay, and lastly, um, you know, in terms of parents talking about the support they wanted, a lot of parents told us very plainly that they want online support. And we're aware, obviously, with uh, the existing supports that are online, that they can be difficult to access, they're difficult to verify, sometimes they're not relevant to Northern Ireland. So in terms of the supports that's being provided, either by the government or by the sector, all of it needs to have a digital aspect to it, if possible. Um, parents should be able to access reliable information. They should be able to access Northern Ireland specific information. They should be able to access the kind of help that they need online. Um, if you're going to be imp- implementing any strategies, services, supports, or initiatives. Now, obviously, not every single one is going to be appropriate for digital support, mm-hmm. but the presumption should be that it will have a digital aspect unless otherwise. Uh, you know, unless otherwise. So, you know, we need to do, we need to look at that the way we, in terms of the sector and in terms of the the way that the the sector is funded in terms of the way that the statutory agencies provide support as well. But also 
let's look at existing services. All of these should be audited to ensure that they're still fit for purpose and to explore digitization options. Um, again, that's not to say, because you know a significant number of parents told us they wanted face-to-face support. So not everything needs to be only online, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you know if there is information or help that can be put online and it can be made available, you know, that's the recommendation. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the, the that'll be your work to take forward then, yes, Chris. Yes, uh, You'll be working with um, various departments and politicians um, to take those recommendations forward. And as Chris said, and um, we mentioned earlier, we had our launch mm-hmm. um, of the findings during the week. And I must say there was a lot of positivity in the yeah. room, I felt. Um, and we had a few of our parent and champions That's there. Right. Do you maybe want to actually tell the listeners a wee bit about the parent and champion model, just so they kind of are yeah, aware definitely. of what's happening with it? So in almost every local council area, um, we have what are now called parenting champions. And these are individuals in uh, political parties. There's usually one per party, but not every single area has one per every single party. Mm -hmm. So if you happen to read up on this and you try to find out who they are and you find out that your particular favorite party doesn't have a parent (laughs) champion, do get on the phone to them and tell them to give me a call. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, but but what these these individuals have chosen to do is put themselves forward as a parent champion and publicly say that they are going to push forward the needs and desires and, you know, hopes of parents in their local areas. Um, we came up with this a couple of, uh, just before the last council election, um, when we realized that there was a lot more that local councils could do. Mm-hmm. Not everything needs to happen at Stormont. Not everything needs to happen in the department. Um, and I have to say that I've been really pleased with the response um, because every major political party has signed up to this. There are representatives at least somewhere in Northern Ireland from every single political party. Yeah. Um, and they're pushing forward with initiatives and supports aimed at helping parents and making life just a little bit better for them in those local areas. And obviously, the nice thing about the councils is there's 11 of them. They're much closer to the ground because the reality of being a parent for in Coleraine, for example, is not the same as being a parent in Cumber or in Kilkeel or in Downpatrick or wherever. So it's nice to have local people who understand local issues. Yeah. Um, and kind of seeing where there's commonalities and seeing where there's not commonalities. Um, so if you are interested in terms of who your local parent champion is, um, you can either get in touch with us and we can let you know, or you might be able to reach out to your local councillor counselor group or the political party, as I say, that you have a personal preference for. Yeah. Um, and, and find out, because I'm sure they'd be happy to talk to you about yeah, it. Yeah, and they'll be really useful, hopefully, in taking forward some of the things that we're talking about Absolutely. in today's episode, and as well as MLAs and stuff in this Definitely, yeah. as well, as you're saying. Um, because there was there was a feeling that everybody was very much on board that we need to get that 82% figure down definitely, in terms definitely. of parents who don't feel they get enough support. Um, so just to mention, I guess if you are looking for some support, you can contact our free phone support line on 0808 And we do also have lots of resources on our website. Um, just because we've been talking about technology, we do have a spe- specific, it's quite hard word to say, <laughs> specific uh, e-safety top tip in our top tips section of the website. So if you look under resources, there's top tips and there's also parenting articles, which Chris writes. Um, and there's one about smartphones on there and also two specials on video games. 
Chris is our resident video game expert. Um, as, <laughs> as you're beginning a, to a discover. A wasted youth, yes. Yeah, with uh, the parenting articles on video games and the podcast episode too. So yes, thank, uh, thank you very much, Chris, Thanks. for joining me this month and for going through the findings. Some really interesting stuff and good luck with moving forward with that. Thank you.